Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring exciting and interesting conversations with people who have solutions, stories, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Relation Flix Podcast. I'm really excited today to have a special guest, Vega. She has contributed content to the Relation Flix platform. I've got a chance to get to know her a little bit better over the last couple of weeks in preparation for the podcast. She is a love and relationship coach, and the the central sort of theme of her work is around how we can balance and access both belonging and authenticity. And just before I, I welcome her to speak, I want to say that you know, in the work that I've done and and in in my exploration of relationship, this is it's so central to our human existence that we come into the world and these two deeply meaningful, nourishing aspects of life, the the strong longing and desire to be who and what we are, and the incredibly strong longing and desire to be deeply connected with those around us. And that unfortunately, a lot of us have an experience early on that says that those are competing interests, that we actually need to choose one over the other. And um, fortunately, there are people doing incredible work in the world to remind us that that's not so, that there is a way to integrate those two. And you know, Vega and I are going to get into it today. So Vega, thank you so much for making time and joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Dolphin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sweet. I'm curious if you could say a little bit about how and why you place that theme, the theme of belonging and authenticity at the center of your work. And and I'd love to get in a little bit into your own story, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love to share. You know, there was a point in my life where I really couldn't share this story um, because I took so much of what happened in my childhood so personally, like it meant something about me, even though I obviously now understand that it... Um, that it doesn't. I had no control over any of what happened to me as a child, as most people don't. Um, so yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about that. Um, you know, it uh, it kind of feels like as an out, out sort of outsider looking in on that experience as a, as a kiddo, it almost feels like a movie sometimes when I go back and sort of watch it happen all over again. But um, I I um, you know a big theme in my life when I was a child uh, was uh, drug dependency and mental health issues. And not necessarily me experiencing that as a child, but everyone around me, particularly my parents, but it was sort of rampant on both both sides of my family. And so along with that comes all sorts of um, all sorts of things like um, violence and um, poverty and just cycles repeating themselves over and over again, right? Obviously didn't begin with them and it, and it won't end with them either. But um, that led to a series of challenges for me, obviously, growing up. I really had to, to create some sense of security for myself, fit into so many scenarios and situations in life. And I really, you know, there's a lot of benefit that came from that, but then there's also a, a dark side that comes with any type of strength, right? So before I get into that, let me just back up a little bit and say, you know, by the time from like 10 years old until uh, the end of high school, I moved around from friend to family member, uh, maybe 10 plus times. So different schools, different different family arrange- arrangements. So needless to say, in order to to 
keep a house over my head and be liked and all of these things I, I needed to fit in. So going back to the um, to the strength and the dark side of strengths. So I, I became a very flexible human, right? I became very resilient, uh, resourceful. And those are those are traits and qualities of who I am now that allow me to do everything that I'm doing in the world. And I wouldn't take that I wouldn't take that back for anything, right? So growing up, um, I really didn't have a sense of self because I was just whoever everyone needed me to be so that I would be okay, right? I would sort of slide on by in life. And that, you know, led to not really having any opinions, not really knowing who I was or what I liked. It's funny to say, but when I went into college, I sort of had a midlife crisis, even though I was, what, 18, 19 years old, because I didn't know who I was. And well, when I've talked to people about their experience of going into college and having something similar, literally was the it literally was this this um, dis- dissociative type experience that I had Um because I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know where I fit in, uh, what I like to do. And uh, ultimately, this went on for for some time. And I worked through so many different modalities to help me kind of center back into who I was, and also have connection. But it really wasn't until several years ago, where I really started understanding the value and the necessity of being me, and that was the only way I was actually going to have the connection that I sought. So for the longest time, I thought, well, this is the way you fit in. This is the way you get love. You know, like I was really locked in this uh, idea that you had to earn love, that love was dependent on your behavior. And especially around sexuality, I was, you know, it was like a currency. Uh, my beauty, my my sexuality was like a currency in exchange for love. And so I had a twisted idea for a long time uh, around love and relationships to men that sort of gave me some material to work with so that I could work through and get on get to the other side of that. But it also was a really depressing time. I mean, I definitely struggled with some depression and PTSD from past experiences and was on medications. I tried all sorts of psychedelics, you know, the whole the whole phase of that part of life that we all go through. And I'll end this story with it wasn't until I really found uh, classical tantric spirituality that it, things started shifting because a whole world of possibility of who I who I was and what was possible for me, just the door just blew open and it felt like a yeah, like floodgates were opened. And so just like most of us who are doing similar types of work, this all stems from my personal journey through this and really um, getting to a point where I saw the value in what it was I was learning and my capacity to teach it um, and sort of put my mind together with other people so that we could shorten the amount of time Um that they would have to go through something similar, right? Because this is a struggle for so many people. Every time I tell people what it is that I do, they're like, oh, well, that's nobody. <laughs> like, like so many people have some flavor of this um, in their life at some point. And so the idea is how can we learn to really develop that sense of self and from that place have connection that 
doesn't feel like it needs to be earned. That feels like a like a natural. Mm, I get to be me and loved for exactly who I am, and get yeah get away from that mentality of I'm not I'm not enough because people have told me that I need to be this or have expected me to be that or make these assumptions about what I should do with my life. And that's why I'm here is what got me in this seat talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Okay. I have 18 questions. I'm going to try to focus myself in here. Um, Perfect. What I'm always curious about, I, I talk about it as the active ingredient. It's like the, there's something at the center of human transformation. And it, it to me, it's not proprietary. It's not provincial. It's, it's, it's universal. We all have access to it, but it comes through in different ways in different people and then different pathways open to us because of maybe our past or what we're bringing into the present moment. My question for you is, can you identify what it was about when you engaged in in that particular kind of tantric practice or that that tantric teaching? What was it about that time, about you and about, about tantra specifically mm-hmm. that for you brought things into focus? Yeah. So I would say at the heart of all of this, it feels like there's this this not enoughness experience, right, that a lot of us have and, and that I had. And there was a moment where I, and this will be a, a practice that we can get into later too that I would love to share with all of you, um, but that I am no different than a, a, a wildflower. I'm no different than a creature that lives in the ocean, a, a whale, right? I'm no different than um, any of these things that we tend to get really curious about. We go into so- sort of awe and wonder when we experience it. And when I started to understand that it was, it had just as much of a right to be and that there was, I had no judgment, right, on on these these everyday things that we, you know, like could be your dog, it could be a baby, right? We don't tend to have judgments around those things. We're just sort of captivated by them. But we're no different. But this creative part of the mind that we have that's so beautiful can also cause a lot of pain for a lot of people because we create these stories, right? And what I'm getting at is that it is a story. It's not something that we're born with. This not enoughness mentality is a generation's old, the just uh, story that just keeps getting passed down. And so when I look at a tree, I don't say, oh, that tree is not enough. Or if only it were like this, then it would be enough. Like, why don't you be how I need you to be tree? Like that kind of thing doesn't happen. And it seems kind of ridiculous. But when we put it into context like that, we've been chosen to be here just as we are the same way that everything else is. And we can so lose sight of that. Um, especially when we don't go into nature, when we don't give ourselves the experiences that can sort of reflect that back to us. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really big uh, shift that happened for me as I started learning more about tantric spirituality. And I came to tantric spirituality by means of neo-tantra, which is more specific, tantra, but more specifically in the realms of uh, of relationship and sex, Right. And that interest me, interested me to go even more deeply into where did this come from and like, why do we even have this? And when I started exploring there, it was th- these sort of fundamental concepts like the one I just uh, expressed that really put me, like really started to center me in reality because we all have our subjective realities. And I think this is helping me to 
and other people that I work with get to more of this capital T truth or where the reality that's beyond the reality that's sort of narrow um, in the in the human experience. Yeah, amazing. You know, I often like to make distinctions that I think are relevant and yeah. and and so we might ask the question, well, why? You talked about how there was a time when I'm not enough didn't exist. And then this yeah. terrible human invention of I'm not enough clearly exists now. And so I'm, I'm always thinking about, well, what was going on there? And, and here's what I've come to around that. Sure. I'd love to hear. Yeah. Human, human consciousness has this incredible, magical capacity for abstraction. We can imagine things that don't yet exist. And so in that capacity for abstraction and, and really manifestation and creation, we're able to do that in all sorts of directions and vehicles for all sorts of purposes. So in its best form, I think it's an ability to abstract and, and create new forms of love, new forms of generosity, new forms of compassion. We can do that with our, our capacity for abstraction. And like any powerful you know, capacity, it can also be used for other things. It can be used for distortion and then separation and dissociation. And for me, when we dissociate as conscious awareness, as human beings, that's what we create. We create these sort of dysfunctional frameworks and dysfunctional senses of self that that perpetuate beliefs like I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me. So, you know, belief and 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 this ability to abstract, I think, are inherent capacities for us as human beings and that somehow we have agency in in what those capacities are used for. And so, yeah, it's just one of the ways I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. And that's kind of going back to that, you know, every strength has a potential dark side. And so it's up to us. We get to choose what we want to do with that. We can actually take a life limiting sort of belief, like I'm not enough and decide, okay, do I actually want that? Is that serving me? Is it creating the type of reality that I want to live in? Or can I create another sort of belief that is life generative, right? It's generating more life and possibility and that sort of um, positive positive aspect of that creative um, potential that we have. Yeah. Can, yeah. can I push on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So so w- one of the things that, that I think once we look at it a bit more closely, we might pose to ourselves is, well, if that were true, if, if this belief I'm not enough, which feels disgusting. Like it just feels so bad to to feel like we're not good enough. And I could just flip it and say, no, I am good enough. Why wouldn't we just immediately choose that? And and it brings me to uh, an important piece for anyone that's looking for genuine, authentic transformation, which is there's been some kind of payoff to investing in the belief of I'm not good enough. And so until we come face to face with and make peace with that payoff, we'll continue to implicitly, unconsciously perpetuate the belief. So I would actually love to hear from you now, uh, kind of how you approach that or how you support people in beginning to transform what are often very deeply rooted, sort of deeply held beliefs of limitation and, and yeah, not being able to measure up. Yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful question. And I'm sure people are already thinking that or wondering that. So I'm glad that you bring it up. Absolutely. I think we have a lot of conflicting sort of needs or belief systems or just different things that are going on inside of us. And we get really attached to a certain belief systems, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. It's not like I'm saying, oh, you're just choosing to be this way. You know, like 
there are a lot of potential payoffs that I that I see. So a couple off the top of my my mind. If you were to immediately change that, that not enoughness to I'm I'm perfectly enough, right? There's and this comes up a lot, I think, in the the realms of of spiritual practice and questioning and 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 whatnot, is um, well, why would I ever do anything any differently if I'm if I'm enough, right? So sometimes the the ideas of acceptance and uh, approval are conflated. And then we think, okay, well, then I'm just going to turn into a blob and never grow or right. And so um, so that's that's one that definitely pops into my mind, which like I'm like I'm saying that they're, they're definitely different things. You can accept who you are um, just as you are because that is how things are. That's just the nature of reality, but it doesn't have to prevent you from growth or, uh, pursuing what it is that is really valuable to you in life. Yeah. Another, yeah. I want to interrupt just for a second. Yes, um, please. I have a 10 month old son. Sure. He has no concept of whether he's enough or not yeah. intellectually, like because none of that's operating in him. And it's clear every time he wakes up in the morning, he is hungry to learn and to grow and to become what he's not yet. So, yes. so I think we can look at babies and young children as as perfect reflections to us about how we can be unattached and, and accepting of where we are currently at and plug into or tap into a deep longing to become something we're not yet. Like th- those two things are n- in no way mutually exclusive. Yeah, absolutely not. I, I love that you use the example of a, of, a, of a child. And I think those types of examples where we tend to just naturally have less judgment are good places to look for so- truth that's closer to the reality of the greater reality right? The things that, I mean, there's truth, but there's only approximations of truth in the way that we can speak it, right? But there's something beyond that. And I think we're more capable of seeing it when we take a look in places where we tend to already not have judgment, like your 10-month-old, certainly. I'd love to share another one that's popping into my mind right now. So the other thing, and I, I learned this not that long ago, and it actually really resonated with me immediately. So I was like, there's there's some deeper truth in this. But when we let go of thought constructs, belief constructs that have been given to us by someone, so modeled maybe by our family members or something like close friends or just anyone that we have a close connection with, it's almost as if we're letting go part of them. Like if if I let this go, then it releases some of the connection that I have from where I got it from. And I don't think that this is conscious most of the time. But, you know, if if your mother was a prime example of not enoughness and you kind of learned that not en- enoughness from her, what happens if you let go of that? And that's a really scary, unconscious thing for a lot of people. The thing is, is we can we can create different types of thoughts, beliefs, and bonds through that type of belief or thought uh, with the people that we care about. But we don't tend to think think of doing that. It's just like, oh, this is just kind of how it's always been, or this is like comfort, or this is what I know. So I'd really challenge people to take a look at that one. Like how, what is it about this relationship that I feel like I'm going to let go of if I also give up this thought or this belief that is sort of running in the background and determining how how my life is going yeah Yeah, i think i think you're pointing to what's at the heart of almost all kind of spiritual or mystic traditions which is uh, a a kind of ego death 
that's required mm-hmm. for us to for us to deeply and fully transform. There's a necessity of letting go of who we think we are, and and all of our sense of self that's related to who we think we are, and and even if that's quote unquote negative, even if it feels terrible to us, it's the who that we are used to relating to the world as, and to relate without that will feel in at least initially very insecure. It will feel very scary. It'll feel unsure. You'll feel like you don't have the reference points you're used to navigating by. So I think there's, you know, that's not that we need to deep dive into the deepest, darkest cave right off the bat, but I think it is important for people that are on a journey of healing and self-discovery to know that there will be dark nights of the soul, that there will be a departure from the familiar in a way that that can be strikingly uncomfortable and that and I love you speaking about the broader truth of existence the the the, the more objective truth of existence and for me everyone that I've ever met that I think to myself or I feel in myself like this person really gets it mm-hmm. what's there implicitly is a deep trust of life mm-hmm. it's like when everything falls away there's something there that's holding it all that's fundamentally trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the beliefs we need to get over kind of alongside of I'm not enough is, you know, life isn't safe or or life isn't worth it. You know, these are some of the yes. other core beliefs that I often you know, work with people in. And can we get to a place this is sort of like a, maybe a rhetorical question or not. Can I get to a place where I come back into my full trust of life? Not that life yeah. is going to be easy or or pleasurable all the time, but can I come back into a trust that life on a deeper level really knows what it's doing and then move forward from that place? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, I'm just, I'm reminded that uh, as I'm listening to you um, share those words of wisdom that, you know, a lot of that uncertainty, ambiguity, overwhelm, stress, these sorts of things that we tend to experience when, um, those types of thoughts or beliefs are really taking hold in a moment where we get really contracted are often uh, can often be mitigated through coping, right? Which is <laughs> which is something that we're we're often really not good at. And there's many ways to cope, but I would say to just back that up a little bit. We're we're taught as a culture, at least in in the United States, which is where I was born and where I've spent most of my my life that there's not a whole lot of utility uh, or benefit to be in the body. Now, that's changing. <laughs> um, a lot of us are taught to, you know, um, sort of make decisions and act from the mind and the mind is superior to the body. And a lot of coping skills actually are how do we be with our body when we feel such overwhelm that we, you know, part of our brain thinks we're going to die because we seek pleasure and avoid pain. And if we're experiencing pain in the mind, since our mind is really creative, like we discussed earlier, um, whether it's a real threat or a potential threat of just the feeling in our body or the thoughts in our mind, it can feel like you're going to (laughs) die. And so if we don't know how to be with the, I call it our like subterranean world, our sort of inner triad of um, our feelings, emotions, and and needs and feelings. By feelings, I mean sensations specifically. If we don't know how to be with that aspect, those aspects of of ourselves uh, when we're feeling that sense of overwhelm in whatever way it shows up, then it's really hard to be in a place of life is safe 
because it sure doesn't feel safe in my body. <laughs> and it's a it's a feedback loop, right? So the more that you um, learn to cope with that subterranean world, the easier it is to support the new beliefs, the easier it is to cope with your internal world, right? So it just, it's, um, it's a process that um, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a little here, a little there, and you are slowly building up this, um, I love this definition and I'm forgetting who, who coined this. I have to get back to you on that because I've heard a couple people repeat it, but that trust is a confident relationship with the unknown. And so we're learning how to develop a sense of internal trust, which then, and it's really, yeah, it's internal, external, but it's all really functioning together, right? And so the more that we can develop that internal trust with the uncertainty of what's there, the easier it'll be to show up in the world um, with with people, with situations in the same way. And so, yes, uh, it's possible, but there's there's some steps that we all need to remember because I think they're deeply there um, and use regularly if we're if we're really seeking that change. You know, it's unfortunate that a lot of us get caught in the in the thought that you know, I just learned something and it will land, right? It will integrate. But we're experiential beings. Like we have to experience to know truth. That's how it works. <laughs> and so um, that's actually um, something that I focus on heavily with the folks that I work with because we can't be authentic unless we're vulnerable and we can't be vulnerable unless we know how to cope with that unknown, with that uncertainty, that ambiguity which is why we often just shut it all down and just be who other people think we should be, need to be, and so perpetuates that cycle of not enoughness and then it gets sent down another generation. So let's stop it with us because it's possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'd love to get into the kind of how of, of, of how we stop it. Um, sure. In, in the, the generation that we're in, I think that's it's the question to, to look at and address. Before we do that, you know, there's a couple of things that I love to kind of get into the nuances of, which is yeah, to, to trust in the unknown. I love that definition, by the way. I'm going to steal it. Hope, yeah, it's as beautiful. Soon as you find out who who came up with it. Please send it my way so that I can give for sure credit. Like, the first time I heard it was through Esther Perel, but she was quoting it from another another person who, yeah, her whole her whole thing is on on trust and particularly trust with corporations. But it's I mean, it works with any, with any type of uh, it relationship, in my opinion. So I'll definitely get that to you. Beautiful. Yeah. And when I get it, I'll make sure the audience gets it as well. Awesome. Uh, the, the trust in the unknown is an interesting one. And I think I kind of referenced it or pointed to it earlier in the conversation, which is I think a lot of people want that to mean that it's all going to go well. Mm -hmm. trusting, in the, trusting in the unknown, like, oh, as long as it goes well, I'll trust in the unknown. But that's that's not what that is. Trust in the unknown is that 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 space beyond my current awareness is operating by way of an intelligence that really knows what it's doing mm -hmm. and that and that first i have nothing to do with that realm first my realm is this sphere of of conscious awareness that that i can relate to like you talked about it's our in our experience where we really kind of where the rubber hits the road for us as human beings and so what does it mean to trust the unknown and and one of the questions that comes up for me that i love exploring with people is you know, there's kind of two ways for us to operate in relationship to the unknown. There's the practical way, which is how can I be prepared? 
for the unknown that might come, which might involve developing certain capacities and skills and abilities that would address things that, that I could imagine coming. And then there's a deeper, more fundamental acceptance that things will come. Some of them I can expect, much of them I cannot, and that somehow life will do what life does when things arise. And so, you know, one is a more kind of pragmatic, practical approach to to being ready for the unknown. And the other one is more like a, a quality of space we can create for what mm-hmm. for what we know is there, but we don't know what it is. And and I think both are relevant. Like I, I'm I'm someone who I love being I'm sort of like a a pragmatic mystic in, in, in a way. Like I love I love the mystery. And yep. I don't want to use the mystery in any way to be irresponsible to what I can mm-hmm. practically take care of for myself and the people that I love and the world that I live in. So I think there's a way for us to have both. And I believe one comes first. I actually believe it's vital we start with the deeper trust that it's just okay. Whatever I'm not aware of that at some point will arise in my life is okay as a default. And then I can approach all the ways I can be prepared. Um, and I think if we don't start in that way, um, we get lost in in a kind of coping that isn't of service to us. Mm-hmm. We get, we get mm-hmm. lost in a kind of coping that becomes very pathological. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious to hear what it, how, how that unfolds for you and maybe someone that you work with this, working in this particular order mm. with, the, with the first that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> I, I don't work with everyone. Uh, and I say this often, I'm like, I am not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, I think, a first piece that I would say is, you know, the way that we approach these things, and I think this is relevant for maybe coaches or ed- educators, practitioners, but also for p- people who are doing work within themselves is, are you ready to be the central agency in your life? Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not, it's really okay. But that's not who I work with. I work with people who are clear that that in their life, they are the central agency. And so then from that place, it, it becomes a kind of radical responsibility. It's like, it's it's all mine to take care of. Because even if I were to externalize and say, well, someone else does such and such and I'm not responsible. Well, as soon as it comes into your sphere of awareness, that's yours. It's your experience of them. And you are responsible for your experience of them. So in that yep. way, we start to in- inherently naturally take on a quality of trust in ourselves and in our own agency and a, and a, a kind of a framing of responsibility where everything is first free to be as it is. And then I bring all of my resources and awareness and capacities to bear on what is. I, mm. I talk about it as raw material. Like we can treat life as something that's wrong and bad where we need to get rid of some of it and try to increase other parts of it. Or we can treat life as a whole body of, of raw material like clay and I use it all. I don't throw anything out. Everything has value. My job mm-hmm. is to discern levels of value and then to work with the materials that are actually there to work with. And then it kind of removes abstraction. I'm not talking about higher dimensions that, that I don't know anything about or or deeper unconscious levels or layers. I don't need to know about any of that. I really need to create a space where what is going on is free to go on. And that's Absolutely. for me to bring my full resources to bear on on how I can lovingly transform that into what's next. I really love that. And I think that that is so powerful and so, so true. I, I love to share a little something that, 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 that 
comes to mind uh, when you speak of that. Uh, like one thing that I, I think that can really powerfully create that sense of agency um, and this this sense that a sense of acceptance. And we talked about that a little earlier on that like nothing could be any differently than exactly how it is. There's no sense of right or wrong or bad. It just is, right? Just a bunch of isness. <laughs> and uh, and one way that I I find to to create a belief structure around that is through our words. Mm. So when we use words like good, bad, right, wrong, always, never, these very these words that are based in a um, duality type of experience. When we do that, we're sort of setting it up like there are things that are better than other things. And it's it's okay for certain things to be and others to not be, uh, which then takes away your power, right? The the idea that you're generating your whole experience, which it can be really hard for some, some folks to just change that mindset right away because for so long it's been ingrained to us like, um, and ingrained into our experience that like um, when uh, they're causing this experience in me, mm-hmm. when we know that that's not necessarily the case. But yeah, just the 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 idea of language and how language really can create uh, our experience, our reality. And if we use dualistic language, and I, and I encourage people to just look at this, like when you use a word like good, are you allowing thing? Are you actually in acceptance of what's happening in that moment? And do you actually have power in that moment now? Language is a really big one. Uh, uh, so, and what you're saying that really brings to my attention and in some of the ways that I work with people around the same concept. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll just say one more thing about that. Yeah, please. And then, then I want to hear from you around, like, sure, how you deliver transformation or, or how you kind of help facilitate that for people. Okay. You know, it, it, it's around the ways in which we can kind of too quickly, we, we we have a realization or we come to a truth and then we begin using that truth brush on everything, right? And so <laughs> so I, I think the, the, the one, I think, um, kind of caveat or the slippery slope that could be there is, I think we can recognize that, that there is all sorts of false dichotomy that we create, good, bad, right, wrong, um, better, worse, all of that kind of stuff. And that's, that doesn't need to be divorced from, on certain levels, a practical recognition of hierarchies of value. Sure. And, and, and I, a lot of people have issues with hierarchies of value. Um, there's a kind of, some people that bring this kind of ultimate moral relativism where it's all relative. And, and I, don't, I don't believe that's so. I think there's tons of relativity and there's tons of subjectivity. And I do believe there's a big T truth going on underneath it all. And and the example that my I worked with my mom for years. She kind of mentored me in, in a lot of the work that I do. And one of the things she used to say about she would she would say everything has value, but not equal value. And and living well and making good choices is about a, an objective recognition of those levels of value. And and the example she would always give is a chocolate bar has value, and and my child has value. And it's fine to recognize that they both have value. But if I don't recognize the difference in value my life and my child are in big trouble. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, I just want to throw in there that um, that the context matters, mm. right? So maybe that chocolate bar and get in a given context has more value than 
some other context, you know, I mean, obviously that's kind of a <laughs> chocolate bar and a child or it's kind of weird to use that as a side-by-side example. Um, but what I'm getting at is that um, that context is is really everything um, and not to be di- to um, divided from the experience itself, um, which sometimes when when everybody thinks that, you know, there there is no um, sort of hierarchy that's kind of where they're getting at, right? They're like t- taking away the context potentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. An example I heard from a behavioral economist was, you know, that that you would never pay a twenty five dollars for a fast food, whatever. Um, but you know, halfway through a twelve hour flight where you haven't eaten all day, and all of a sudden, yeah, like your your sense of value changes, and that's a con- that's a contextual piece. So I absolutely. Appreciate. Yeah, thank you for for yeah for bringing that in, uh, making it making it more real. Absolutely, cool. So I would love to move into you know just practicals. People are listening. They're I'm I'm sure they're enjoying the conversation as I am, and and they have their pieces. Like each of us has our own kind of package that we're that we're playing with in our lives. And so I'm curious for you, you know, how do you best support people in, you know, I get the sense from you that you're very big on context and kind of containership. Like you you want to create a different way of relating before you start to kind of move pieces around and try to f- fix or change things. So I'm curious about that aspect of your work. Like how do you support people in reframing everything? Yeah. And then what do you feel like are the most potent uh, ways in which that people can experience transformation? Sure. Um, so if I were to give it a sort of rough framework, um, how I'm tending to work with people to sort of rewrite these mindsets and skill sets, uh, whether they're a skill with the self or skill with another. The easiest way to, to describe it is, you know, really attuning to who are you, what do you want, and how do you get it? So this is a really simple way to start start thinking about this um, because sometimes it can feel not so tangible, um, particularly when we're going into the spiritual components of it. But it definitely is a is a um, a draw for people who want to work with me. It's like they want to have that component, and so sometimes it you know it takes as long as it needs to to, to take. But uh, who you are, like who am I, is really it's really like really getting into the thick of like you know, most people think that they are who, or they, they think they know who they are, but they're really just a hodgepodge of um, what everyone else thinks they or who they should be, right? Or how they should behave. And, and uh, so there's not a whole lot of originality there. And the idea is like, how, how can we um, sort of melt away those layers and, um, and create a level of authenticity in, you know, who you are? Are you just the sort of out, outer layers of um, how I experience um, like my tangible, like, you know, how I identify with this cup or how I identify with my beliefs? Or is there something more essential and core to who I am? And how can I, how can I sort of move dynamically between all these different layers of who I am? Um, this just opens up a realm of possibility and more choice. And that's where the power is. Like if I have more choice, then I so much more is available to me, right? So it's a capacity um, piece, essentially. It's like we're opening, um, we're creating capacity for things to then show up differently in somebody's in somebody's um, love reality, essentially, for, for 
who I work with particularly. So there are all sorts of beliefs that we don't know that we have uh, potentially that love just isn't even possible for us or all the good ones are taken or, you know, like all of these subtle things that maybe we've said out loud, but a lot of them we haven't. And we sort of cap what is possible for us. And so the who am I really goes into um, some deep conversations um, and mindset shifts around around that aspect of the self. If I then move into the what it is that um, what is that I want? Again, most people, you know, they'll come to me initially and they think that they know what they want, but you know, a half hour later, it's like, oh, there's this is actually what I want. Like this is sort of a representation of what I thought I wanted. But what I really want is, you know, under here where like, it's like what needs, what what needs are really not fulfilled here? And do I need to have this thing in order to have that need for, uh, fulfilled or is it something else? So that's taking it back to some of the coping skills, really getting in touch with what's happening internally. And there's a lot of different ways uh, in which we go about that. But ultimately, it's like um, what... You know, most of us haven't done values assessments, for example. Like, we don't really know. We think we know what we value, but when we really get in there, it's like, oh, wow, like this is actually really important to me. And so it's this self exploration of once we've set that capacity and we've started changing some of that mindset, that it almost has permission to be there um, in a different way. And um, this also, this aspect of, um, what it is that I want requires that we learn how to um, get in touch with our intuition, for example, which is something that you really need to explore the body in order to um, access. So um, again, the feelings, needs, um, thoughts, intuition, values, all of these aspects that sort of uh, give us a sense of uh, identity and motivation is are explored in, in in that aspect. And this doesn't happen in a one, two, three necessarily. It kind of is all, <laughs> um, depending on what's going on for someone in a given day, could go um, in any any one or all three of these aspects of, um, of work. And then the last piece, which is typically why people show up, is I don't, I can't express you know, who I am or what I want in a way that actually gets heard or where I can actually be met. And this is typically where people uh, show up. Something is not going, not flowing or going right uh, in their relationship. And so they want, um, they want some skills. And definitely it requires all the skills we've talked about thus far. But then there is a really practical um, aspect of communication that we just hasn't been modeled to us or, um, you know, our emotions get the best of us and then we can't necessarily communicate because then it comes becomes about shaming and blaming and manipulating and all of these things that we do when we feel like we don't have any control. So how can we come into it from an empowered stance and communicate in a way where someone can actually hear and listen to us? Um, they feel a sense of connection to you and um, and it feels reciprocal, right? It's an empowering, invigorating, vital type of relationship instead of something that you know, these things that just keep coming up and coming up and then don't get resolved or you just feel like you're giving and giving and never getting something back or these types of patterns that feel really imbalanced in relationship. So 
it's a combination of all of these sort of three categories. Um, and it's far more vast than what I'm explaining now, but it just gives, I think, a sense that there are a few core areas that if we spend, um, if we, I want to say spend time, it's like spend attention, right? It's like we really put our attention on these things on a regular basis. We can really create these relationships where we experience that freedom of being ourself and deep intimate connection with somebody else. You don't have to sacrifice authenticity, um, for fear that like love is going to be taken away or we'll be abandoned because we're not enough. So it just goes back to that. Yeah. Does that, how does that feel? Does that land give you an idea of beautifully, how that yeah. works? Yeah, beautifully. And then I, I appreciate like kind of like structure and stages, but I also recognize as you alluded to, it's like, it's not linear. Life, life is multidimensional. It's all overlapping and interacting. Absolutely. And so, so for us to use systems in ways that that facilitate, but not in rigid ways that kind of shut yeah. us off from from the interplay, which I totally appreciate. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that came up as you were speaking is, um, you know, this dimension of self-awareness that's central to like, who am I? Which is a question, if we've asked it, uh, I would say most, most people haven't really asked it. And most people who have asked it haven't gotten to this, the core of where that question can go. Yes. It says at the core of where that question can go is a complete dissolution of who we thought we were. Yes. And 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 so like and here's the thing, I'll use a sport analogy. I love metaphors. In case you yeah, no, I, I think they're great. <laughs> uh, cool. Um so I worked with athletes for years. And and one of the things that will happen with especially well, older athletes too, but especially younger athletes, is you'll have an athlete that's sort of in, in the middle of their career, their you know, late teens, early twenties, maybe they want to go to the Olympics, whatever it is. And there's, they have some movement patterns that are not optimal, right? They, they succeeded, they, they got them to a certain point, but they recognize that if I'm going to get to that highest level, I actually have to address this way I jump or this way I rotate my shoulder or whatever it is. And, and what'll happen is, is that for that athlete to get to the core of that inefficient movement pattern and transform it, they're going to have to actually spend a period of time performing worse than they're used to. Mm. So there's a there's a functional application of what we've developed up until now that that gets set aside if we want to do deep development. And I believe it's true around emotional pieces, around psychological pieces. If we want to deeply transform our patterning on any level, in any dimension, there's a liminal period of transformation where it all looks and feels worse before Absolutely, it gets yeah. better. So again, this is me wanting to be just transparent with people that I invite into the transformational space is like, I'm not here promising rainbows and lollipops, right? Like it's like I, I'm promising transformation, and then I have a really good sense of what's involved, and I want people who step in to know as as well as they can. We can't know the whole path, but but I think it's important for us to recognize that the 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 conditions and the mechanisms that are there are there for a reason. On some level, they've worked, and we can thank them for the work they've done. And if we're ready for transformation, we need to let them go and the strength and then and function that they've provided, at least for a time. Like I often say to people, you're not ultimately going to fully lose your strengths. You will be, they'll be absent from you for a time. And then when they return, they will represent something very different to you. Mm. They will go from a, a, a mechanism of coping and avoidance to something that is, is a vehicle for full expression. And then it's true in sport and it's true in love and relationship. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful metaphor. 
it really is. It really is like walking around in the dark, like with your eyes closed, like feeling around, right, for a while. And you're going to bump, you're going to bum, bumble and stumble and, and that's okay. <laughs> and that's part of that trust that we were talking about earlier. Um, sort of surrendering into that instead of feeling like you've got to control. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I have a question that I think will kind of bring us into the, the closing of the conversation. And then I yeah. just, I, I, transparently, I really enjoyed our time. I, yeah, I always, I don't always feel this kind of uh, kind of met and inspired in conversations, and so I just appreciate you and and obviously the path that you've been walking that that allows you to to be in and speak about these things so so brilliantly and eloquently. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dalton. It's been beautiful. Yeah, cool. Uh, you know, I, I'm always wanting to help people make distinctions that that will serve them. Like I really believe in that. You know, teach people to fish instead of giving them fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm often interested in is for people who have come from a really tough place, not everyone turns the corner. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't figure it out. And and we can look at kind of external factors and, and we can try to do the math and one plus one equals two. Um, but I'm always interested from from the inside out, like your perspective as someone who's walked your path, what's, what's really been the difference for you? I'm sure you could imagine a life where you didn't turn the corner and it went in all sorts of dark directions. Um, So yeah, I'm curious in your words, like what you feel like the difference has been for you in a way that might be helpful to someone listening. Uh Yeah, there's this, there's been from as early on as I can actually remember in life, thinking that there was something more uh, to life, to purpose, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood just in a stressed state. And I didn't know that until I was sort of out of it. But there was still, there was something there that was driving me, uh, that was motivating me forward. Eventually, I was able to identify sort of what that was. And it was this longing for a sense of freedom. I would say that that a lot of people, you're, they, they think that they're just, what the hand that has been given to them is just what is. And I would invite people to really explore the the truthfulness, <laughs> right? However you want to look at truth and reality of of, of that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's typically, I mean, me included, but other people that are have been huge inspirations for me. This is something that they've they've really investigated for themselves as well. You know, if you believe that there's nothing more for you, then you will make that reality so. And so really uh, it, it, tuning your attention to this type of, you know, what, like put your deepest and don't limit yourself. Like what are your deepest longings in life? It will probably feel scary when you do that because there's going to be part of you that says like, oh, that's not for me. That's not possible. I'm supposed to do this. Like this is what's expected of all that stuff's going to come up. But if you can be with those um, things that come up enough and you are consistent with your investigation, and I think, like I said, for me and a lot of folks that I've spoken to, the sort of the heart of that is this, um, this longing for freedom to just completely be <laughs> who you are. Um, find what's there for you. Like, what is that deep need value 
um, longing for all of these all of these desires and things that you want to manifest in uh, in life, and hold on to that in those moments where it feels like you're just being shut down by yourself or other people. You know, if I take it back to nature, just uh, one last time, um, you know, that tree, if it's got if it's got the right conditions, it's just going to do its thing. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. I mean, it's, I live on the Western Slope in, in Colorado and there's just some massive trees out here and it's the it's the right the right climate and environment for them, right? Um, you put that same tree in a small pot, it's going to limit itself because the environment just isn't so. So if we can start creating that environment inside of us, which is very much seated in those needs that we really long to fulfill, like freedom or maybe connection, um, then we're able to work through, um, we're, we're able to be with, let me put it that way, be with um, the the ego, the peanut cal- the peanut gallery is what I call it. Um, or just the um, um, what what we think we're experiencing on the outside, like what's coming in from the outside. Hold on to it. Hold on to it and um, and let that let that be your limiting factor. okay? It's really it's really about. <laughs> It's really about moving away of from who we think that we should be and allowing ourselves to really feel who we want to be and letting that guide the way. Yeah, I, I'd love, I'm just going to kind of weave it full circle because we yeah, started please. the conversation talking about authenticity and belonging. And as you were speaking, what was re- resonating in me is that it's actually only through authenticity that we can truly belong. Yes. That that any departure from authenticity inherently has us being disconnected because we're disconnected from ourselves and and, yes. and we can't belong to anything outside of ourselves if we're disconnected from ourselves. Yep. So I love I love the simplicity of that. And and so for those listening, if you're already on the path, uh, hopefully there was some really lovely kind of nuggets and, and bits in here that that inspire you to continue. And if you're closer to the beginning of your path, yeah, we hope that something touched what I would describe as a seed that's already there in you, something you already knew, but maybe had been so covered over, um, you didn't relate to it. And then so maybe this conversation is a chance for you to remember and to begin consciously relating to that seed. And and from there, like it, it, it's built to grow. It, the seed knows what it's doing and we just need to cultivate. So yeah, yeah that that's a lovely way, I think, to kind of weave it. Uh, I'll give you one more chance to say anything you want to close the conversation, Vega. But uh, yep. before that, is there anywhere for someone that's been listening and wants more of you? Uh, other than on Relation Flicks, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, jessvega.com is my website and uh, you can learn more about me there. And there's actually a, a free resource for you that touches on some of the things we spoke about today. It's essentially um, the top five ways that uh, people are sabotaging love for themselves. And we've talked about some ways of how maybe we're inauthentic and how that's um, contributing here. And you'll see more of that and um, additional things to sort of investigate uh, with that resource. And then you can also find me on Instagram. Uh, there's lots of really great posts and resources there. Uh, a lot of really good videos um, that you can find also. And that's at Soul Level Love. That's kind of was like the the sort of seed of all of this. It's just like, 
how that that soul level love, right? Like just going really deep within you, and like that's where the love is coming from. Um, so those are the the two best places to find me. And um, obviously on Relation Flicks, <laughs> there's some good content there as well, uh, as, well as many other um, beautiful pieces of content. Awesome. Uh, any final words for us yeah. before we part ways? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's one uh, quick thing I wanted to touch on that you said there at the end, um, that true connection comes from that true connection with yourself first. I mean, there's this conundrum, right, that we find ourselves in. We want to be seen and met but then we don't allow ourselves to be seen. So how could we be met? And this is the, the story that just shows up on every Zoom call in one way or another when I'm working with people. You know, it's like, they don't see me, they don't get me, but then some part of them, they're holding back. So it couldn't, there's no way the other person could meet them on the other side. And so keep that in mind. Um, that, that just jogged that in my memory. The other thing um, is really like the sexiest, most desirable quality um, that we can bring to a to a relationship. So, you know, in in connection with somebody else, is fully being who we are. Now, a lot of people are gonna are gonna struggle with that. Like, oh no, but then I get this pushback from you know, if I'm really who I am, they're really gonna push back. But what's at the essence of this is aliveness. So the more that we hold back our aliveness, the the more watered down we become. And you've probably experienced this in a relationship before where like in the beginning, it feels really exciting and, you know, but you're kind of maybe putting on a little bit of a something. Um, and over time, as more and more of you comes out, you're feeling like, oh, I've got to shut this down because now there's an assumption or expectation. And you start to feel uh, one client said it the best way. She's like, I feel like Betty Crocker, like Betty Crocker version of myself. Um, and so it can show up like that. It can show like show up like a hollow cast of yourself. It can show up as like, um, yeah, watered down version of you. And th that's just like zero. Your life force is just draining from you. Right. So if the person that you're with is not super stoked by you and your full aliveness, you know that they're ultimately not going to be your person, right? And so why would you want to be with that person anyway? And that's not to say that like there, there's something inherently wrong or broken or not enough about that person. It's just not a match for where, you know, what it is that you're seeking uh, in life and love and relationships. So I just want to put that out there for you. Um, and then the, uh, the, the very last thing that I want to share is just I know like when I come to a podcast, I want to, I want like something I can take home and use right away. And so I'd love to share with you just a little, um, a little uh, skill that you could use to be more vulnerable, which is the backbone of authenticity, right? In communication uh, with someone that you love. So this could be your partner or it could be, you know, we're around the holidays right now. So it could be something that you're using with a family and even friends but when we want to bring something that potentially you feel like there's going to be some challenge or conflict, like a, some some kind of information, you want to make a request, um, you want to try to resolve something, or it's just a piece of information that feels a little sensitive and you want to bring it to the other person. Usually there is your own discomfort, anxiety, fear, whatever, bringing it to the situation. Um because there's a perceived 
uh, there's something perceived on the other end of how they might show up, right? So to diffuse both of those things, potentially how they how they might show up and the discomfort that you're feeling, I invite you to not try to control it, but try to be extremely vulnerable. It's a, a instant diffusion on both sides of this fear, anger, anxiety, whatever might be there, okay? So what I would uh, invite you to do is think about all of the things that you think that they're going to say, how they're going to react, what is possible, what might come back on the other side that's actually generating all of this fear or anxiety in you, okay? Then tune into, um, once you do that, you're really going to be tuned into the sensations and emotions that are going on inside of you, which is great because you want to know that too. You want to know, okay, like, how am I really feeling about this? Oh, I feel a bit nauseous. I feel like my heart's pounding now and I feel really anxious, right? So you you identify what's there for you based on what you think is going to come back on the other side. And then Instead of waiting for that potentially to come back to you on the other side, you sort of beat them to the punch, okay? So you come to them with, hey, there's this thing that I really want to share with you, and I'm feeling nauseous. I feel my heart pounding, and I feel anxious because I think that you might say X, or you might get angry, or you might think this about me, okay? This immediately diffuses what's happening on both sides potentially like the projection of what you think might happen and what's happening inside of you and you can see how um, this act of vulnerability allows you to be way more authentic with um, what's actually happening for you and just think about how much easier it is for someone to listen when they're tuned in and concerned about what's happening for you and they're like oh they've thought about this they thought about how i might potentially respond okay so they feel you attuning to them even before you had the conversation okay now there's so much more that i could share but i want to say that this little nugget is going to get you really far really fast um and i promise the person's not going to be like oh don't you tell me like what it is that i'm thinking if you present it in this way they're going to appreciate it they're going to um, feel you they're going to be concerned for you too um, in in the delivery of whatever whatever it is that you're going to deliver. So I want to end with that little tool that you can use um, anytime. Uh, like I said, it could be a request, uh, wanting to repair sensitive information uh, with anything. Okay. I think it'll be really helpful. Amazing. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, my that. pleasure. Appreciate the practical piece at the end. I think it's so good for us to to learn uh, and and to know there's so many levels to learn on and one of the levels to learn on is is through action through mm -hmm. through implementing what we learned thank you so much for being here you've been listening to the better relationship podcast brought to you by relation flicks please subscribe to the podcast and you can go and check us out at relationflix.com we look forward to sharing so much more with you and until next time my friends love well <laughs>